Hello, and thank you for joining the IPG Media Lab up here on Floor 9. I am your host, Scott Elchison, and joined with me today is our lovely strategy team, Adam and Christina. Welcome, colleagues. It's so good to be here. Hello. I'm so happy to have you guys back on. Um, And this week, we'll be discussing everybody's favorite subject, food. It's lunchtime, so it's really a prime time for us to be talking about this. Uh, But just as a disclaimer... uh, this isn't our whole POV on the food space. Uh, what we'll be kind of focusing on is more of the convenience of food and how that is being changed by um, startups today. Uh, so to set the stage, Adam and Katrina, this is a topic that we've been going back and forth about for a while. Uh, so I just kind of want to know from your perspective, what, like, what has this been driving for us to talk about food that you guys have seen that you know wanted to make this thing happen? Yeah, I think it's really just that there's so much happening in the world of food at every single uh, point of the the value chain. Um, Food is actually a pretty complicated industry at this point uh, that really grew up over the uh, course of the late 19th and 20th centuries. And pretty much every part of that value chain at this point is being attacked by different startups, by established tech companies who think they can, you know, bring something new to the table, so to speak. Um, and there's just a lot of things that are have the potential to really change how we discover and buy and consume our food. And yet, uh, a lot of the core practices um, that most consumers, most of the most of the way that most of us eat, um, actually hasn't been disrupted yet. Um, there's a lot of people trying to disrupt that and change it and hopefully improve it. Um, but so far, we've we've actually not seen a lot of change. So it's kind of an interesting case to look at food from a from our normal sort of innovation and disruption lens um, because there's so much happening and yet not a lot is actually changing in the fundamentals. And I also think a lot of the behaviors and uh, innovations we're seeing in the food space are um, happening in other industries as well. Things like on-demand, 24-7 access to things, delivery. uh, Those are consumer behaviors that we're seeing happen across categories at this point. And I think it's especially hitting hard in food. And I think there are a lot of lessons for brands outside of the food category as well around kind of those more convenience behaviors that can be perhaps adopted or used for inspiration as well. That was fantastic. Excuse my cliche here, but uh, shall we dig in? <laughs> that is that is Angel's go-to uh, lunch lunch spot. So uh, let's just take a look at that food value chain that's being disrupted. Uh, so for the for the episode here, we really just simplified the entire value chain down to four areas. So it starts with the food producer, then it goes into the food processor, then it goes into grocery slash restaurant realm, and then finally it ends with the consumer. Uh, and just to kind of give everybody a, a brief background on some startups that are you know hitting some of these points along the food chain, we have. Um, what I'm calling the test tube meat category in the food producer side of things. So that is things like Memphis Meats, Impossible Burger, Finless Foods, uh, where they're just growing meat in laboratories, uh, as well as CSAs, uh, which, Adam, I know you've been very excited about. Yeah, uh, community-supported supported. agriculture. <laughs> yeah, no, you got it. Community-supported <laughs> agriculture. Yeah. So you pretty much can just subscribe to a farm and get a part of part of their harvest. Mm-hmm. From the grocery restaurant perspective, Christine has talked about I mean, meal kits, on-demand delivery. There are just so many sub layers of, of, of different meal kits that are out there today. Uh, so we'll keep it broad with that before we dive into it. Um, and then even things like uh, Itza are you know attacking uh, like like the restaurant portion of that. And you want to give us a quick background on what Itza is, Christina? Yeah. So Itza is a company out of San Francisco that uses robot technology in back of house to prepare 
and serve up meals. So the way it works for consumers is you walk into an Eatsa. They specialize in quinoa bowls. You put in your order on an iPad, and within five minutes, it will deliver your meal to you that the robots cooked for you um, in this cubby hole, essentially. And you just take it and go, and it's really easy. It's really convenient, really cheap. Uh, and it's um, I could see this technology rolling out more widely to restaurants, especially in the quick serve category. Yeah, I, we know that Starbucks is actually already kind of experimenting with that as, as well, kind of like that like cubbyhole pickup um, for like their coffee in the morning. Uh, and then lastly, when we look at the like the, at the consumer end of the value chain, um, you know there are things that are really disrupting on the recipe level. So for a company called Foodzilla, uh, they actually use computer vision through your phone. Uh, so when you when you take a picture of a meal, it'll show you all the ingredients, and then you can go out and just kind of you know buy those ingredients. All, also to the things like uh, Tovella, which is a connected oven uh, that comes with a food subscription service so uh, you just subscribe to the food service and then the meals are delivered and then you scan a qr code and the machine or oven automatically cooks uh, your food to the proper temperature and then you just eat so you kind of just are home cooking in a sense but it's all hands-free so that is just a, a quick background on kind of some areas that we're seeing uh, get, get, get disrupted across the food value chain. And, you know, I think what we're seeing is a lot of these startups are attacking the what, the how, and where humans will, will be consuming in the future. So I want to start with the what. You know, what are different types of foods that consumers are going to be consuming when we look to like the future? And Yeah, we're seeing a lot of innovation even on the, the kinds of foods, a lot of um, what you know, might be considered uh, test tube meals, things like uh, Soylent, which is an engineered shake that guarantees you all of the vitamins and nutrients you need. If you drank four of those bottles a day, um, it would be everything you need. Obviously, you don't have to do uh, four of those, but sort of a engineered uh, meal replacement shake to things like the impossible burger which is you know fake meat that is designed to bleed it's the it's the vegan burger that bleeds as if if you've heard about that it is it is amazing it is really it, good it's very good it's um, very good and i think in a blind taste test i'm not sure i would be able to identify that as not meat right um because we do know that you know in the next 50 years we're going to start running out of meat and meat production is really bad for the environment and there's a lot of problems with meat um even if you uh, you know are a meat consumer, so there's a lot of companies, including Impossible Burger, who I would say is sort of at the forefront of it, trying to create meat replacement products, um, and I think they're doing kind of an awesome job of it. Yeah, I would say the one thing I say about the Impossible Burger is that it's not designed for folks that are vegan or vegetarian. It's actually designed for meat eaters, like you said, to help solve this uh, sustainability issue that's happening with like the larger uh, meat production of things, which I thought was very interesting because I loved it, but apparently vegetarians don't like it because it tastes too close to meat. <laughs> right, exactly. Believe, you, so it's crazy. If you've been eating vegan for years and suddenly have an Impossible Burger, it probably just feels like you're eating meat. <laughs> yeah, and then I, you, brought, you brought up Soylent, you know, Food has been really looking at like um, a, a a community in a sense. It's it's really focused on like a social gathering. You, you set food down, and that is a way for family to get together and have a conversation. Soylent kind of derails that completely in a sense. So, I mean, do we think that's going to be like a larger trend when it comes to how we'll be eating, where it's just like we'll be taking like one pill or a shake and then it's kind of cutting out that social aspect of our lives, or not so much? I don't think that will happen. I think because biologically we're communal animals and I think we need that for our well-being. And I don't see, I, I think we'll find other ways to replace that. What I do think Soylent solves is 
the busy urban young consumer who's on the go and perhaps traveling a lot and kind of needs that quick hit of protein and energy. And it's actually great that Soylent is out there because it gives consumers a way to do that in a plant-based wellness forward way. Um, But I do think at the end of the day, and this is less of a tech innovation statement and more of just a cultural observation that we will find, I think, as humans, some way to naturally come back together as a community. And hopefully the food system that emerges as the result of this innovation supports that. If we're sitting around the table drinking Soylent or eating Impossible Burgers, maybe that's the solve. But um, I do think biologically we need certain things. I think if you look at Soylent's marketing, it's really clear the evolution of that company, it started out literally saying, you never have to worry about food again. That used to be how they would market it in the beginning, as if food was a burden to people. Uh, And that is because it was originally engineered for computer programmers who did not want to have to stop what they were working on in order to decide what to eat and acquire that food. Um, But their marketing has changed a lot in the past few years as they've become more of a consumer product and less of a, um, you know, crazy experiment. And it's now much more focused on that convenience. It's much more like uh, a, a, this is a healthy thing for you to grab off the shelf at a bodega if you have no time to actually eat. And I think that that is a much more approachable product for a larger percentage of the population. And again, to Scott's point, uh, at the top of the episode, I think What we're focusing on today is the convenience of food and how technology is making food more convenient. I think there are other, food is such a big category to explore. um, And there are other things happening in other areas of the uh, industry that are working to build build community, whether that's bringing people together through shared experiences or other, you know, types of more cultural innovations. But, um, Hopefully we will still sit and break bread all together, even if it's over seamless or something. But no, I, I agree. And like with this theme of convenience, it really seems like a lot of this innovation, like we said, it, it, it really goes back to giving consumers their time back. Um, it seems like, you know, as every day more and more things come up and they want to spend less time either shopping for groceries, buying those groceries, you know, walking with those groceries from like their house to their, to, to their car, to their home. Uh, it, so it's, it, it, it is really looking at this idea of giving uh, time back to the consumers. And as we like look to the future, you know, when we say like, you know, how and where, you know, how do we think or where do we think um, consuming food is going to is going to change with the advent of, let's say, autonomous vehicles or this idea of like more and more of these robotic kitchens roll out, even this idea of like 3D printed foods like there could be a whole new way of how we eat and where we eat. I saw a really cool concept in uh, Condé Nast Traveler and then one that Ikea is actually working on. Um, there was a autonomous hotel concept that I read about that will essentially pick you up in an autonomous vehicle in a movable at- hotel room, complete with a bed, complete with an espresso machine and a refrigerator, and it'll take you to a hotel and insert you in that pod into the hotel. So it's kind of end-to-end travel. I could see something like that happening um, in the restaurant space as well as that rolls out more broadly to hospitality. And then the IKEA concept cars were actually really cool. They were working on a series of autonomous pods. Again, one was a retail pop-up shop for their stuff at IKEA. One was a movable office, but one was a cafe. And I think to your earlier point of community, the rendering that they showed was of a bunch of people coming together, getting on, getting off, 
talking, doing things communally together, um, but just in kind of a movable format. Um, and I thought that was really cool and kind of points to where we're heading. I think we're no longer, you know, bound by geography when it comes to eating food and enjoying meals. And it's more, you know, you can eat and enjoy your surroundings and be with other people and mix it up a bit more. Yeah, we like to think about autonomous vehicles eventually at their end point after it, they're going to enter the market relatively soon, but this is probably more of a 10-year prediction, but just as being rooms on wheels. Um, and that sort of changes a lot of the a lot of what you can do with them. They're 100% will be restaurant experiences. Um, and, you know, a restaurant, a, a, it's like maybe a private dining room that you're in with your friends, but then it all drops you all off at home on its way. And so That's, you just sort of would be ideal. <laughs> depart one by one as it drops you off, right? It's like a combination of a private dining room and a uh, Lyft or an Uber, right? Um, and that that's super, you know, obvious, obvious and early thinking. But you can imagine um, great experiences where you're touring a farm in a vehicle while eating the food that was produced on that farm and things like that. I think there's a lot of awesome experiential stuff that's, that's going to happen there. Yeah. And I was and, and, and kind of even looking like more today just at like at, at the trend of how uh, consumers are eating, you know, out eating out versus home cooked meals. And, like we're seeing a, a pretty steady decline in people actually going out to eat because it's, it's getting more and more expensive and they're, like, they're focusing more on either home, you know, at home cooking or um, like delivery. So it's just interesting to kind of see that like there's just been the shift away from like the restaurant and then maybe, you know, towards the home and cooking. You know, of. Scott, I actually think that's a great point because if you think about the premium end, at least there's services where you can get a private chef into your home. Right. And that's limited to, to the premium end of the market. I think as things like robotic kitchens and robotic technology roll out more broadly in restaurants, I could totally see a world where you can book a quote unquote private chef mm -hmm. or just have a robot cook in your home that delivers restaurant quality meals exactly how you want them and mimics that restaurant experience in your home for you and your friends. Yeah, that's like that, like, like, like the ultimate dining out experience. Like I said, this is in, in your, in your house because I don't know about you guys, but I have never been able to cook like they do at a restaurant, and I don't think I'll, I will ever I will ever be able to do that. But to have that experience and have that quality of food in my own home um, would be something that I would love to have. And I think that's what some of these services are trying to get at today. Uh, they're just not quite there yet. Well, Scott, you actually can get restaurant quality meals delivered to your home. Uh, Postmates is a pretty premium on-demand delivery service that you can get Michelin-starred meals delivered to your home. So Sugarfish is one example. It's like a 20-piece omakase that you can get delivered in this really pretty bespoke box. Um, so it's kind of mimicking that experience already, and I think speaks to a larger trend around you can almost right now get anything you want whenever you want and in whatever form you want, whether that's the ingredients themselves that you need to put together or fully all the way up to fully made restaurant quality meals. I, I and I think that's why we're seeing so many different layers of meal delivery kits to that point because everybody kind of wants something different. Uh, and I think that also plays to like a larger point that I made in, in the beginning of the episode where it's we haven't seen one thing just take off yet, but there are many different options out there today because there are just so many different wants and needs when it comes to um, food and definitely definitely you know, on demand versus quality. I think is one of those you know like debates that we'll see play out in the foreseeable future. 
All right. And I want to transition the conversation to really look at how the legacy brands uh, are now competing in the space of food. Um, so we have stores like Kroger, Walmart, Costco, and Amazon. Uh, and I'll, I'll give this one to either Adam, Christina. Um, how are these brands you know, trying to switch where that integration point is and how consumers are buying their food? Uh, I actually don't think they're they're trying to switch the integration point. They're trying to ma- maintain that the integration point for grocery remains with retail. Um, and this is why, obviously, Amazon has gotten into grocery by acquiring Whole Foods. Um, is uh, And I think you saw the challenges, challengers from uh, grocery delivery services like Instacart and things like meal kits from uh, you know Blue Apron and Plated and the dozens of other meal kit companies. They were trying to move the integration point away from the retailer into either the deliveries into the delivery service. Um, and I would say even the the meal kits actually were trying to move the point of integration actually all the way down to the recipe. That that was the the recipe was the thing that was dictating the groceries you were you were receiving in the meal kit um, sphere. Uh, Meanwhile, you've got companies um, like like uh, Walmart and Amazon who want to maintain that the integration point is really at the retailer level. They still want you browsing for groceries and buying groceries, uh, you know, one by one, aisle by aisle, even if those aisles happen to be virtual ones. Right, but then also those legacy brands um, have also bought up different meal delivery kits. So, for example, Kroger uh, has acquired meal kit service Home Chef. Walmart revealed that it is going to be buying, um, or soon soon it will sell meal kits in two thousand like locations, um, and then um, like Albertsons, Albertsteins, uh, they rolled out plated meal kits. So it seems like like they're also trying to not get get left out of that switch in um, you know value chain um, an integration point. Like they're trying to like wrap that into like their larger offering. Right. Well, what they're trying to do is offer offer consumers the convenience of a meal kit, but they're offering it at retail. So they they're trying to protect their position in the value chain by not allowing these uh, startups. Uh, to shift that to a new integration point. So yes, um, meal kits as a concept obviously are not going away, but um, you do see Amazon and Albertsons and Walmart and, and pretty much probably everybody at some point selling their own meal kits inside the stores and through their own online channels. But by removing the subscription element that um, was really behind Blue Apron and everybody else from the beginning, uh, they maintain maintain the hold on the consumer relationship and still force you to go into the store or go to their website or app to make your grocery purchases. And I think they're betting that you're not just going to buy a couple of meal kits and nothing else. They're, they're trying to bundle that together with all the other stuff you might buy at a grocery store. It always comes back to bundling <laughs> in some way, shape, or form. And and I would say like to that point, Alibaba and their new Hema grocery store really is marrying that kind of tech with a high-end restaurant experience uh, to really kind of continue to have that uh, integration point be the, like, like the retail location. So if you guys haven't seen that yet, there's a great video online. Go Go check that out. But now let's kind of like shift again into the challenges that are being brought about by all these kind of... Um, changes in how we do food like there's a lot of things i would say that are blocking the the progress or you know or or are barriers for these startups to kind of proliferate and and do very well one and i think this is the biggest issue here is is like like the logistics of actually keeping the food fresh how are they going to you know in a sense bring an avocado from california to the east coast without it going bad uh, that's the classic amazon avocado problem and also my biggest problem yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh but then you know, like there are also things where the selection of food like i said like everybody has different wants and needs and it's so it's just so varied uh it's gonna be hard for 
you know, a single service, I would say, to hit all of the needs. And it seems like today, a lot of these services that are being offered are niche, which is makes sense. You want to, you know, focus on one area, but I don't know if any of these areas are are big enough in a sense to really, you know, lock in one, one company uh, as like a winner in the sense of the space or like a certain style of, you know, food innovation as like, this is how we're going to be, you know, shifting our consumer behavior to, to um, in the future as we eat food. So just some interesting things to think about. Um, even the idea of this simply uh, like logistics of delivering food when, it, when it's in a person's home. I don't know about you guys, but like when, if, have you guys ever ordered Amazon Prime or a fr- a Fresh Direct? Like there's usually like a time frame or a time window and then you have to be there for when like that person arrives. And the issue that I have had with it is that my food can get bundled in with somebody else's delivery that happened an hour and a half before mine. So my chicken goes bad. You know, it, it doesn't stay. So, you know, even though it's supposed to come within this two hour window and it does, it, like, like the whole food package might have been out for like a four hour window and like my chicken was bad. So kind of like, you know, repriming those like logistics to make it as fresh as possible. That has never happened to me. And I would be, oh, really? I would be so upset if that happened. Yeah. That happened. The, like the whole, the whole point is that it should be fresh. <laughs> right. I will. That was the issue. I, I, this it happened the second time I ordered it and I just never went back. So I, both times my chicken was gross. Maybe it wasn't fresh when it left the store. That's also possible. I've seen that as a as a avid grocery shopper. <laughs> yeah, that's that's also possible. Um, but you know, only time will tell. Maybe I'll go back and try it again. Um, but I'm interested to hear from you guys about you know when we look at this idea of convenience and delivery, like like, like what is that next stage of convenience? Like we, we like we have delivery today. It is it is put at our door. Um, but how do you think brands, especially Amazon, are going to be looking to expand that convenience, you know, into your apartment in a sense with the, what Amazon Key has to offer? I think brand that I love is kind of the north star of where we're heading with all of this is Domino's. What Domino's does is their own North Star is decreasing the amount of time between your hunger and a pizza. And using that as a guide, they develop their strategy around that. So you can order from whatever channel you want, whether that's Facebook Messenger, whether that's text messaging, whether that's Alexa, uh, and you can get a pizza delivered to you pretty quickly to your apartment or your house, or if you're sitting in the park, or if you're sitting at the beach, they will deliver you a pizza. And so I think when you think about the next wave of convenience, it's infinitely harder because it requires support of multiple points of ordering plus multiple points of delivery. But ultimately, I think that's where I see consumer expectations evolving. And while Domino's likely, you know, the bulk of their orders are probably still via phone to a home, um, I think it gives a really nice indication of kind of where we're headed. Yeah, the uh, they're actually testing um, in in Miami. They were doing autonomous delivery of pizza with Ford, and uh, one of the funniest uh, challenges that, that that they ran into was that in the middle of the summer, uh, the people in Florida don't wear shoes, mm. so they didn't want to walk out to the to the actual autonomous driver in the car. And so it's like it was just like a like that like literally like that is like the last mile delivery um, barrier <laughs> that <laughs> that they came across was. People didn't have shoes on, so they didn't want to walk out to the car. <laughs> That's why we need those flying drones to uh, fly them straight through your window. Yeah, or like a van that, that houses little pizza robots that delivers them straight to your, literally to your, like your front doorstep. Right. 
Yeah, so that'll be yeah. deployed. One of the things we didn't talk about was uh, Starship Technologies and yes. their uh, grocery delivery drones, which hold two bags of groceries and a climate-controlled little land-bound drone. Um, and have they've run a bunch of pilots in a bunch of different cities with a variety of grocers. Um, but you know, that's another step on the on the way towards automated grocery delivery. Great. And I know today Starship is also kind of, they are testing on Intuit's campus with food delivery and whatnot. But again, all these new innovations that we've seen, whether it's the Impossible Burger, Starship deliveries, what what Domino's is doing with their you know pizza delivery service, um, these meal kits, uh, it's still very niche in a sense. Like a, a lot of these big developments aren't taking off. Um, and, and I think there's like the barrier there is really gets into consumer willingness and whether or not that means they want to go to the store and actually like look at the fruit and you know squeeze their own avocados and, and pick their own meats. It, it just seems to be that there's a lot of innovation and that it's going to take more time until uh, consumers are uh, you know really open to using these services as a more day to day substitute than going into the store themselves. So should we jump into some brand some brand takeaways? Christina, we'll start with you. Yeah, I think that's a great point you bring up about a big barrier for consumers right now with grocery delivery is you lose the ability to touch and feel and see the produce. You're relying on someone else to do that. And uh, I think a lot of consumers don't trust that entirely quite yet. And I think some not so positive consumer experiences have like your chicken example earlier <laughs> um, have hindered that further. And I think for other brands, as we look across categories, what we're seeing more broadly in retail is that e-commerce is great at getting you stuff fast at showing you a really wide assortment of sizes and products. But there's something about going into a store and feeling the products that you are going to buy, especially those higher consideration products um, that, and as a result of that, we're kind of seeing this renaissance of physical retail in a lot of ways. All these direct to consumer brands are launching physical retail in addition to starting in e-commerce. Um, and I think as we look at the food category, food is a really interesting place to start here because everyone eats uh, and so you see a lot of this innovation happening there. Um, and I think as consumer expectations start to shift across categories into things like fashion, into things like home, into things like consumer technology, it is important to think about what that, what e what is missing from e-commerce in your category and how can you think about um, tailoring the physical experience to recreate that magic or even tailoring the e-commerce experience to recreate that magic online. Excellent. So another one is just looking at um, the, the value chain. So we were talking a little bit about the food value chain and how there are different steps in that chain from um, a farm or food producer through to um, logistics and restaurant and grocery all the way to the consumer and how basically what we're seeing is a lot of startups and even established companies trying to shift where the integration point is to capture new kinds of value in the food chain, in the food value chain. And that's really where we're seeing a lot of innovation. So a thing to think about, again, across category is in your own industry's value chain, where it, where is the integration point now? It's probably where you're making most of your revenue at this point. Um, and who is trying to shift it to someplace new? Who is trying to disrupt how uh, value is created in your industry? Um, and then if, if the answer is that there is somebody or there is nobody, how can your brand actually take advantage of, of that knowledge to either um, defend against uh, that disruption or to embrace that disruption and actually take your brand in a new direction to capture value at a different point in the value chain, which might create new consumer opportunities as well? Well said. 
And with that, uh, if you're looking for more great content, please check out our website, ipglab.com. From there, you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter, as well as read some more great content. Follow us on our social channels at ipglab. And if you like, share, tell your friends about us. An iTunes review would be awesome. Uh, So whatever you can do, we greatly appreciate it. Thank you. And we'll talk soon.